0: Well, as uh, Nick said, uh, I'm going to be uh, talking for a couple, of, probably a couple of weeks on <clears throat> spiritual warfare. And one of the ways it was confirmed to me this morning that I should speak on warfare was when I went out and opened the mailbox, a huge brown spider jumped off on me. <laughs> but anyway, if you want to see him, I splattered him over the sidewalk out there. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm calling, uh, calling this, uh, entitling this sermon as, uh, Why War? Why War? Anybody ever heard of the, uh, the ultimate theology? The ultimate theology is, why can't everybody just be nice? Okay. <laughs> well, it's never worked before for some reason. <clears throat> so... Uh, Anyway, we can't. Uh, why can't everybody be nice? What probably was God's original intent? <laughs> but we uh, read in Revelation about a war in heaven that probably was way before creation, but has spread to Earth, where there was warfare in heaven, where third of the angels, under angel Lucifer's direction, waged war against God. Now, some of you probably heard this this saying before. I, I like it. Probably used it before. <clears throat> When Satan decided to declare war against God, he came before the throne of God and he said, God, I declare war against you. And God, knowing always the end of a thing from the beginning, looked back at him and said, I won. <laughs> so that's, <clears throat> that's good news. God has already won. So, uh, but many Christians consider themselves <clears throat> uh, pacifists. In other words... You know, they're just against anything that would even smack of conflict or disagreement or anything because they just believe that, you know, the peace of God should just cover everything and love and joy. And certainly there's there's, there's truth there. But at the same time, we've got to also realize that there is warfare and evil in this world that has to be confronted. Now, even the Christians who might be pacifists still use these terms in their Christian lingo. Words like victory, okay? Do you ever think that you don't have victory until you've had a fight, right? You don't have victory and then have a fight. You've got to have a fight, and then you get to have victory. Okay, another word is conqueror. You don't conquer if there's nothing to conquer, all right? So there is. And then more than a conqueror. So it's being emphasized, uh, words, phrases like the whole armor of God, indicate and emphasize the fact that war and warfare in this life and this world is a reality. And we have to learn something about it. It has been with us, whether I like it or not, since creation times, maybe before. Therefore, it is wise for us to learn something about warfare. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. If we can pick up, put up on the screen Exodus 15.3, there's a scripture there that I'm sure you have seen before, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. In other words, God is a warrior. God is, another translation says God is a man of war. So God knows about war. And he knows that there is a war down here. And he gives us information and teaching and training in his word about how to fight. How to fight. Okay. We often think of Jesus winning the battle for us on the cross. And, you know, everything's already taken care of. You know, sin's taken care of, the devil's taken care of. And so we don't have anything to worry about. But that's not exactly right that way. We do have spiritual warfare even this side of the cross. Here's a good example to understand that. In World War II, the Allies... for wanting to invade Europe, how, what was their strategy? How were they going to do it? Well, ultimately, they landed on the northern France on Normandy, which is called D-Day, June 6, 1944. And they, the ultimate result of that was they broke the wheel and broke the back of the enemy, but they still had a lot of cleanup to do between there and Berlin. And it took another year before there was complete victory. So you might look at it like this. Jesus broke the back of the enemy. He destroyed him who had power of death and overcame with life. And so that would have been like the Christian D-Day. But the rest of our lives are cleaning up, mopping up exercises, so to speak. Because there is still an enemy out there that doesn't like to think that he's defeated. Amen? Okay. So... However after D-Day that paved the way and started the path to Berlin but it took another year of fighting and warfare so we can think of the crucifixion like that it broke the power of death and caused the people of God now to begin learning how to be an army isn't that amazing the number of things that the bride of Christ is called the bride we're called the house the house of God, we're also called the army of God. And back in in the book of uh, Song of Song, Song of Solomon, when it talks about the bride arising, it describes her as being beautiful and terrible. We don't like to think of beautiful and terrible as two words that go together. But that's a picture of what the body of Christ is to be, beautiful with the holiness of God. But being able to terrorize the devil and the kingdom of darkness, okay. At the same time, it's easy to think I don't see how those two things can go together, but they do. Think about it. Continue to walk in the Spirit, and God will show you. He'll give you an opportunity. Okay. So there's a war going on right now, and the Holy Spirit is trying to call all of us out of the army. Excuse me, out of the audience, and into the army. Think about that. Not to be a spectator, but be a participator. Now, what we'll find out along the way is that the weapons of our warfare, as Scripture says, are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They're spiritual, spiritual warfare. Now, warfare can start in the spiritual realm, but it will eventually spill over into the physical realm where, where we are most most conscious. If we don't stop the enemy while things are in the spiritual realm just cooking, cooking, then they will spill over into the natural order. Here's a thought. Two main thoughts. Two main weapons that the devil possesses are one, false accusations, and two, deception. Two main weapons of the false. He will accuse you of things you never heard of before and he can deceive us if we aren't full of God's word and the truth. Amen? Now let me tell you a story. You may have heard part of this before about a man's life that illustrates this. There was a, a German Lutheran pastor named Martin Neymaller back in the 1930s. He was a man who had been a uh, submarine officer in World War I for Germany but he had evidently a relationship with God that came later and where he became a faithful minister and also was a friend and uh, uh, companion with uh, uh, Bonhoeffer and one day in the 1930s Martin Neimoller was in his church and some men came in and said <clears throat> we uh, we thank you that you're doing such a good job in here, but we, we want to place some flags in here with swastika on it. Would that be all right? And at that time, everybody viewed Hitler as one who's just bringing economy back and doing good things and making Germany great again, so to speak, and all the things that, uh, that people wanted to see. And so he thought, yeah, that'd be right. You can put some Nazi flags up here. A little later on, They came, and they said, uh, just wonder if you'd uh, mind if we put a photograph of Hitler up, and you talk more about him than you do Jesus. Does that be all right? Well, uh, I guess so. Okay, and then finally, they came in and said, we want you to not preach the Bible anymore. And he says, well, I can't do that because I've come to the conclusion that Christianity and Nazism are incompatible. So they hauled him off to jail. Well, he would spend a little bit of time in jail. And one Sunday morning, he was sitting in his cell and a man came by who he knew was also another Lutheran pastor. And his job was to bring breakfast to the prisoners on Sunday morning. And Neumahler looked at him and his friend looked back at him and he said, Pastor Neymar, what are you doing in prison? And his response was, in light of what's going on in our country, why aren't you in prison? Now he went on and learned some other things about the devil's deception, and he wrote one time. And here's what he wrote describing the deceptive practices and strategy of, of Satan. I think you may see something uh, similar to what we might be experiencing in our world today. This is what Neymahler wrote. He says, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the union members but I didn't speak out because I was not a union, union member. Then they came for the Jews. I did not speak out because I'm not a Jew. And finally, they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Think about it. That's strategy. That's war strategy. Okay? But God can teach us better. Now, I want to share with you five mind attitudes concerning warfare that we may find ourselves in. First of all, we need to recognize... And I hope that everyone does. There is a war going on down here that originates from the spiritual realm. It's spilled over into the natural order, certainly. And it occupies itself in all different types of human endeavor. If you can think of all the things out there that are pillars of our society and our, and our uh, uh, culture, such as education... Uh, the medical realm, the scientific realm, arts and entertainment, all these things that are part of our culture. If you see the devil involved in any of those things, that ought to be a sign to you that Jesus wants to be in there more. Okay? But there's a war on. All right? So let's talk about some of the things, four or five things that are attitudes that uh, we even find in the body of Christ about the warfare, about the warfare for the kingdom of God being ruling and reigning, rather than the kingdom of this world. Okay, number one, you can be ignorant of the war. You know, duh, a war, I don't know anything about a war going on. You know, they only think of in terms of that which is physical. Can you imagine people that don't understand what I'm talking about right here and don't have the capability of understanding it? They're ignorant of the war. One of Satan's strongest defenses is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. Right? If you remember the guy who was the the founding head of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, for many, many years proclaimed that there was no such thing as organized crime. Okay? Now, that's just exactly what I'm sure that organized crime... Wanted him to believe. Yeah, believe we're not there while well, we're ripping them off and cheating them and everything else, you know. And they, don't, they won't believe that that's happening, okay? How stupid can they get? Well, if I deceive them properly, they'll believe anything, Right? That's Satan's, one of his strategies. Some people don't believe in a spiritual world. They think that physical, material world is all there is. But there is a spiritual world. God is spirit. Angels and demons are spiritual beings who can appear in a material or natural form when God allows. They may be tangible, but not the same as material. They can be ca- uh, they can be a, a casualty and never know why. Pe- these people with this that's what these people with the ignorance of work can become casualties themselves and not even know what had, what hit them, what happened to them. Many people. In that position okay so one can be ignorant of the war and largely that stems from the idea that they don't even understand that there is a spiritual realm that is just as real if not more real than this physical realm that we're most accustomed to relating to number two there can be people who know there is a war but ignorant of what to do about it they don't know how to fight Now, you can put up the Isaiah 3 scripture. Let me read it from my Bible. Let's see. Okay. That's the first verse. The, The context here is Isaiah is prophesying to Israel that there's going to be a war and the Assyrians are going to come and take them over. And there's a judgment of God going on. And this is how he describes it. See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judea and Judah both supply and support. In other words, the form that judgment is taking at this time is removing from society things that it needs to exist. Okay? In other words, if all of the musicians disappeared. You didn't have any music. It would be a big blow to the culture. If all the people who were educated uh, were jerked out of society, that would leave us in pretty bad shape. Okay, that was the nature of this judgment. God was taking out of their culture, out of their society, certain types of people, such as both supply and support things, all supplies of food and all supplies of Water, The hero and the warrior. Notice that. The judge and the prophet, the soothsayer and the owner. Okay, that's far enough. Part of the judgment of God at that time was to remove from them the man of war. Can you imagine that? That's a judgment of God to take out of a culture, a society, or people, those who know how to fight. Makes it a lot easier on the enemy, doesn't it? He doesn't have much opposition. So, the judgment of God was to allow an absence of knowledge about how they are experiencing warfare. Now, here's a way, good way to think about that. <clears throat> uh, everybody knows who General Patton was. Okay? He was definitely a man of war. Couldn't wait to have a good fight for him. Not particularly the kind of guy you might want to invite over for dinner, but if you were attacked, I'd like for him to be my best friend. Okay? We need men of war. If we need them in the natural order of things, we certainly need them in the spiritual order of things. Here's another example. In the Civil War, first few years of the Civil War, the South was just, beating uh, North like crazy, and they were winning every battle. President Lincoln kept adding new people to be the, the generals, and none of them were doing it. Some of them were afraid to fight. So he found this guy named Ulysses Grant, put him in there, and he started with victory after victory after victory. However, there were people that didn't like him, and they complained to the president that he drank too much. Lincoln was looking at it through different eyes and his response was find out what he likes and send him a case of it. <laughs> all I want is to fight. I want him, all I want to do is win battles. Okay, here's another. Another scripture, Judges 3. Let's see if I can find it here. Judges 3 the context is the people have come out of Egypt and they've gone through the desert and now they are gradually occupying the promised land. How many of you know that when they got into the promised land that the inhabitants that were already in there did not go quietly? Okay. But here's something that's interesting. Chapter 3 of Judges. These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. Isn't that interesting? God could have had all the bad guys, all the ites, the Hittites and the Amorites and the termites and everybody else. He could have run them all out and then they'd have just taken over. Oh, isn't this great? Just walk into a place of peace. Everything's going our way. But God didn't do that. He left some of them in there. And it tells right here, why? Because they needed to learn warfare. Now, if you're a pacifist, you don't like that verse. This is God making a decision. Now, here's... Here's a way I can take that and apply it to my modern life today. I'm thinking about being a new believer. If I was a new believer, okay, and I'm walking down into the deeper things of God, all right, I'm, I'm enjoying the peace, joy, and love, I'm walking down the abundant life path and the highway of holiness and just understanding new things about God. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Well, all of a sudden... In the middle of the road, of this great, wonderful road that I'm traveling, there's a big foxhole. and Huh, I wonder what that's for. You look over on the side of the road, and there's a tree with a whole bunch of demons looking at you. Okay? And so you think, aha. So you reach in your Bible, and you pull out a verse and hand it to the demons, which are enjoying looking at you. And you're saying, this is an eviction notice. Get out. But they're looking, <clears throat> they're looking back at you, and they're not going to go quietly. Okay? They don't go quietly. You know, it's amazing. The devil has had a million confrontation and fights over the centuries with Jesus, and he lost every one of them. And he, So he knows two things. He knows he can't beat Jesus, but he also knows he can beat you if you don't know how to fight back. Okay? Think about it. Knows those two things. So he has a strategy, he usually centers around false accusations and deception. The abundant life and righteous rule will only be achieved and enjoyed when we learn how to kick the devil out of the place that he is already occupying. Okay? Not that he might occupy someday, but that he usually is already occupying. That's why we need to know and understand. Spiritual warfare, understand things about it. Okay, number three, next mindset, next, next strategy is you know the war, but you neglect the fight. You won't fight, okay? You're a sideliner. You know it's there, but you won't join the fight. There's two words that describe this mentality about spiritual warfare. One is compromise. All right? Don't be a compromiser. Here's a good example scripturally of compromising. Moses went before Pharaoh, delivered the word of the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh's response was, well, I'll let them go, but they've got to come back in three days. Okay? Later on, he comes back again, let my people go. And his... His response was, well, they can go, but they leave their livestock here. No. Completely. You will let them go totally. Well, there was three or four compromises that Pharaoh used to tempt Moses. And, of course, Moses didn't fall for any of it. That's compromise. All right? So <clears throat> we can think of uh, all kinds of ways that, you know, when we're confronting sin or we're confronting things in our lives that the dark forces want us to compromise. This stuff all happens up here, all right? It's part of our mind, okay? Here's a statement. Jesus did not come to earth to give the devil equal time, okay? He can't just speak the truth. And he said the, li- the devil's a liar from the beginning. You know, he's a murderer from the beginning. So anything he says is always suspect. So we hear things that are contrary to scripture, contrary to truth. We hear temptations going on on the inside of us. We know that it's all bad and it's going to lead to worse. Another word that comes to mind when I think about neglecting the war is complacency. If you don't know what complacency means, it's a good word to usher into your vocabulary. Here's a good dictionary definition of complacency. It is self-satisfaction accompanied by an unawareness of actual and approaching danger. Everything's all right. It's always been okay before. We'll get out of this. Won't be a problem. But you don't realize the power that's coming against you because you don't realize you haven't watched the strategy the enemy start out small and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay? So, there is a war on. We need to wake up. We need to cover our weaknesses. We need to learn how to fight back. And we need to know what the enemy is doing. Now this is applicable, I think, not only to the body of Christ, but to our nation, right? We need to know these things. We don't need to be compromising about it. Well, if you do this, I'll let you have this. No. If somebody, somebody came to my house and said, you know, hey, I want your, I'm going to take your house. Here's the way to not respond. Well, you can have the backyard, but I'm going to keep the rest of it. Right. Okay? You can take this city, but, <clears throat> you know, some compromise. God is not a compromiser. And I don't believe that he puts it in us to compromise truth, to compromise what God has called us to do and to be, or any of these things. Number four. Number three was neglect the war. You know it's there, but you don't don't want to join the fight. Number four is learning to defend yourself. Learning to defend yourself. There's two aspects of war We'll talk a little bit more next week about one is individual fights with the devil, and the other is corporate warfare, where we learn as a corporate body how to fight together. It's not as easy as it sounds. Okay, defending yourself requires learning. It's good, but not yet the best way to be the best way is the last mentality, which is know there's a battle and take aggressive action. Okay? That's being a man of war. Okay? Learning to be a warrior, how to fight back, requires me to learn some of the devil's schemes and strategies. This is what it means as we're approaching this uh, this place taking aggressive action this is how you become part of the army of god soldiers don't just fight for themselves they have a greater cause they fight for values they fight for the folks back home they fight for stated goals armies fight for their way of life and for their nation or kingdom Anybody remember seeing a movie some years back called First Night? It was a story about King Arthur. and King Arthur, Sean Connery, and he was talking with one of his knights, one of his soldiers who was praising King Arthur about how strong he was, strong in battle, strong in every way. He says, you are so strong. And King Arthur's response was, God has given some of us strength for a while that we may use it to protect those who don't have it. That's what an army's for. All right? We're fighting for the values that God has given us to live for. We're fighting for freedom. We're fighting for the things that God says are worth having. Okay? So we're fighting to be free. We've got to include government in this. When we see demonic powers or whatever working in government, that's what rules over us in this life. Now, <clears throat> Scripture tells us very plainly to pray for our government so that we have quiet, peaceful lives. Uh, to, you know, some people say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get interested in any of that because I've got a kingdom that's better and, you know, we're going all going to heaven and so on. Yeah, well, <clears throat> down here, we need to keep the freedom that God has given us so we as a church can operate properly. Okay? How many of you would like to have a nice place to witness, or one where if you were talking to somebody or you brought your Bible to school or somebody and you got arrested and put in jail, either one of those okay okay, then we need to pray for a government okay so <clears throat> those are important those are important things. There will be much spiritual activity I believe over our nation until the end of the year. I think there will be. <laughs> a lot later on but I think that there will be a very powerful spiritual warfare we, you you single and you plural need to learn how to fight we need to learn how to take charge through Jesus name we learn, need to more, learn more about what that means in the name of Jesus it's not a magic wand that we can just say oh in the name of Jesus do this do that Okay, a little deeper than that But we need to understand and learn how to pray together and agree together and write out, spell out what we're praying for, what we're expecting, and what we feel the Lord is saying to us to share with one another. And we need to be able to move like an army, okay? Now, I think that's true for the body of Christ all over the nation. Some places in our nation right now are undergoing incredible amounts of spiritual warfare, and many of them are losing the battle. Okay, So, like I said a while ago, the devil, I think, knows two things. One is he can't beat Jesus, but he can beat you if you don't know how to fight. Okay? Now, I'm going to write, just spell out for you okay, three or four things, four or five things, maybe six or seven things. <laughs> thing I feel the Lord put on my heart that's kind of prophetic. There will be much spiritual activity And warfare increasing over our nation until the end of the year. Now is a time when spiritual warfare against evil forces will be needed as never before. Our nation and the church are at a crossroads. We need to make our stand against Satan's desire to steal our liberties as never before and also steal the next generation. We need to be praying, starting this week, that righteousness reign, right, right standing with God, rain down like a river. The Bible prophets said, God's light and truth, that it would continue to expose corruption, lies, greed, and arrogance, along with all sorts of evil in every level of our culture. Pray that God's light. Come in and make that darkness recognized, that we recognize. We need to pray God's justice enter into all three branches of our government so that righteousness will reign. I believe it is time that the whole body of Christ should begin to rebuke and wage war against this pandemic. I think it's time to curse that thing in unity. And kill it worldwide. I don't believe God's sent it to us to straighten us out. It causes pressure. And when we are under pressure, it will drive us to our needs. Just like Gloria got a, can you stand up and just say the prophetic word you got this morning? Just kind, kind of short, just in a sentence or so. So go ahead. Amen. Very simple, very plain, very obvious. We need that. Amen? Okay. Let us also pray that God, pray that those who might wish or hope for another virus to be sent to us, that it be stopped and sent back to them. Let's pray that the Lord bring his supernatural power into hospitals and homes and let us see how good and great he is as he heals those with COVID virus that are, let them be supernaturally healed. Let there be a time when we need to pray, God's power be known. God, reveal yourself. Let us, let people see what great things you can do! Let us see how good and great you are. That's that's prayer. We need to pray that together. So we want to pray for the church, the body of Christ. We want to pray again that light exposes false teachers. Let the church be more pure. And purity means lack of infection, lack of wrong teaching. We need purity, purity in the church. Pray for deliverance from fear of confronting and speaking out against evil. Lord, where there's been fear in the church, we're afraid. We're afraid we'll be persecuted. We're afraid that people will disagree with us. We're afraid that I won't be liked anymore by people. That's fear, and God's not a God of fear. God of love, power, and a sound mind. And He wants to deliver us from that so we can be everything that He wants us to be. Okay? We need to awaken Christians to vote, believe it or not, for candidates that promote moral issues. And we need to pray that God release the power, gifts of healing, miracles, casting out demons. Let it be as much a part of us as our own right arms is seeing the power of God at work. Amen. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you, or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.